0: Been with us the last few weeks, you know where we're heading. Turn over to Ruth chapter 4 with me, please. Ruth chapter 4. You know, history is something I have a great interest in. In fact, uh, that's what I did my undergraduate in. History. I find history fascinating, but the weirder the history is, the more I'm interested. And So I I like to watch the History Channel. I don't get to watch it as much as I used to, and really now I don't feel like the History Channel has much history on it. It's mostly reality TV shows. Uh, But one of those reality TV shows I do like to watch. It's no longer running, I don't think, on History Channel, but it's Pawn Stars. Pawn Stars. You have people who bring all kinds of stuff into this pawn shop in Las Vegas, and they give some history behind the items, and and then they uh, will negotiate on the price. Well, they've had some interesting items that come through, and one that caught my attention was one seller came in with a dinosaur egg. He brought a dinosaur egg. He wanted to get $20,000 for this dinosaur egg. And so he brings it in, and they always have these experts. I don't know how they know all these experts, but they call these experts in to come and verify whether these items are authentic. And so they call this guy. He comes in, and he says, yes, yes. This is a genuine dinosaur egg, but apparently there is a, they're a lot more common than what we would like to think that they are. And so uh, he's, he's wanting $20,000 for this dinosaur egg, when really, the, according to the expert, most of these dinosaur eggs only run about three to $600. And so the seller's price was way too high. Well, when we were last in Ruth, uh, she and Naomi had uh, been left waiting to hear back from Boaz about their redemption. Uh, The cost of their redemption is high, but Boaz had promised Ruth that he was willing to pay the price, but there was someone else who was a closer relative whose duty and responsibility would be to redeem her first. And so... We're left with this question Would this other Redeemer be willing to pay the high price of their redemption, or would he pass that responsibility on to Boaz? Well, we'll see today as we wrap up our study on Ruth the answer to that question, and we'll look at some of the effects of that. But before we do, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here this morning in your pulpit to proclaim your word to your people. Lord, I pray that as I do so, you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth would be your words. That the power would not be my own, but would be spiritual power that has the power to transform lives. Redemption power. Salvation power. Transforming power. Lord God, be with us as we study this morning. Pray in your holy and precious name amen all right let's begin with verse one boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there soon the family redeemer who by the way is never named here the family redeemer boaz had spoken about came by boaz called him by name and said come over here and sit down so he went over and sat down Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the land of Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, then do so. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me, So that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. In verse 6, the Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. So we see the cost of redemption of Ruth and Naomi was high. The cost of redemption was high. When we left chapter 3, Boaz had promised to Ruth that he would redeem her, but only if this other man, this other redeemer, was to refuse to redeem her. And we find that what Naomi said about Boaz at the end of chapter 3 is in fact true. Naomi had said, My daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this this day. Well, he didn't sit around waiting, but Boaz, as soon as the next day came, he he went to the town. He found not only the Redeemer, but a, a group of elders. They all come and sit down, for this place, this, this town, the gates of the town, where, where public declarations took place, is where uh, court cases were decided. They didn't have a sophisticated legal system as we have. They had elders. You know, hey, you just go grab some leaders of the town. Hey, come judge for us, and what you say will be binding. And so Boaz found this unnamed redeemer. Oh, what's his name? We don't know his name. His name's not important, so the Bible doesn't even tell us what it is. So he finds, oh, what's his name? And he gathers these ten elders, and he says, all right, we're going to have a court case here. And he presents this issue to the Redeemer and to the city's elders. So here's the situation. As widows, Ruth and Naomi are in need of a kinsman Redeemer. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. And Boaz is the ideal man to be that kinsman redeemer. He is related to them. He, he does have the wealth to provide for it. He, he has developed a relationship with Ruth. She went to him and said, will you redeem me? Basically, she proposed to him, right? Talk about being progressive for the time. Hey, will you marry me? I need somebody, right? Boaz is the ideal redeemer. But because of this other redeemer, this other redeemer had the right and the responsibility, the duty to redeem her. Now, the kinsman redeemer had a dual role in redemption. And Boaz, in this passage, seems to kind of separate these two roles out. And the first aspect of the kinsman redeemer was the redemption of the property, the land, right? The, the reason, one of the reasons for this is to keep the land in Israel. They're not to sell it to other people, but each family is to have their land that stays and is passed down to the next generation. We talked about last week that God provided this land for them. He says, you're just stewards over the land. It is my land, and so you cannot sell it, but it will go to someone who is in your family. <clears throat> So the law makes it the responsibility, therefore, of the nearest able relative to purchase back the property of a man who had lost the rights to his property for one way or another. Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 25 says, If your brother becomes destitute and sells part of his property, his nearest relative may come and redeem what his brother has sold. Well, since Naomi is a poor widow, all she has is her husband's land And so, in one sense, she needs to sell it to provide for her and Ruth. And this other redeemer goes, oh, hey, land. Yeah, I'm interested in that. I want to buy that property. I will gain financially from this. I will expand my own uh, legacy, my own inheritance. Uh, So I want to redeem the land. And so, for us, the reader who's been following this story, and we're going, okay, we want Ruth and Boaz to get together, and this guy says... Yeah, I want to redeem it. We're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't what. This isn't the way we want the story to go. There's a disappointment here. We're, we're all cheering for Boaz, Ruth and Boaz, to get together. But this man, he doesn't say, I'm not interested. He says, I want to redeem it. But we find he just wanted to redeem the property. And so it's at this point that Boaz points to the second role of the kinsman redeemer. For not only does he have the responsibility to redeem the property, but he has the responsibility to redeem the person as well, the widow. And in this case, the, the person is the Moabitess, Ruth. Now, according to the law of Moses, the Redeemer gains nothing in gaining a, a, a widow of his wife of his relative. There's no financial gain. In fact, the property that he would have gained does not actually go to him in his inheritance. It would go to the first son of their union together. And so it, it's one of those things, he may be the biological father of the son, but he is not the legal father of the son. As far as the legal side, he would be considered the son of Malin, Ruth's first husband. And so seeing no benefit for himself and his inheritance, this unnamed redeemer, oh, what's his name? No name. We don't care about him. He says, now, now, I don't want to ruin myself. And so I'm going to pass on redeeming the woman. He was interested in redeeming the lamb, but not in redeeming the person. Because the cost of her redemption was too high. But Boaz was willing to pay the price. And he demonstrated this without hesitation. He was willing to take on the responsibility, and he acted with deliberate purpose. He he went out immediately the next day to go seek this case, to go seek this Redeemer, to find out if he was going to redeem them. And, And Boaz acted sacrificially, I will be willing to give up all my rights for Ruth. It was not to his benefit, but it would be to benefit Malan. And it would be a benefit to Ruth, but legally it would be a benefit to a dead man. Boaz was willing to pay this high cost. Now church, as we gather together each Sunday morning, we gather to remember the high cost of our own redemption. All of mankind was impoverished. We were all poor. We had rejected, we had rebelled against God's command, and we had sold our inheritance as sons and daughters of the Most High. When we rebelled against God, we said, We don't want any part to do with your family. We don't want to be a member in your kingdom. We want to go our own way. And so we had sold our inheritance, our property. we needed a kinsman redeemer who would bring us back who would redeem not just our inheritance but our persons and so jesus was sent by god the father he came and he dwelt among us to identify with us to be one of us to be our brother and then he was like us in every way but one and that one was that he was without sin. And so he identified with us as a brother. And Christ, our brother, bore our redemption price upon the cross, Calvary. And he was willing to pay that price. Just as Boaz was willing to sacrificially pay the price to redeem Ruth and to, to redeem Naomi and to redeem their land, Christ was willing to sacrifice himself, his own life. Consider his own life forfeit so that we could be redeemed. No one forced Christ to lay down his life. Remember, he said, I lay down my life. No one takes it from him, but I lay it down of my own accord so that I may take it back up again. So Christ came with divine purpose. He came to perform the act of redemption for us as had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament, which had been prophesied through the word of God for centuries, he came and was willing to pay the price for our benefit. Christ died for those, just as Boaz was willing to redeem for the benefit of a dead man, Christ redeem those who were dead. You and I were dead in our, de- in our sins and our trespasses, and so he died for a dead man or a dead woman. He was willing to pay the highest price to provide the redemption that we needed, the right to be called sons and daughters of the Most High. He brought back for us our inheritance so that we could live forever in union with God. But the cost was high. It was his life. Well, look with me at verse 7. At an earlier period in, in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. I will also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, Malan's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gates of his homes." You are witnesses today. Well, the act of redemption was legal. It was a legal action. It took place in a legal case. He's brought, Boaz has brought them together to judge over this case. Boaz was not willing to break God's law to redeem Ruth, to provide for her. Rather, he sought to fulfill the law properly. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, we have the ruling on this from the word of God. When brothers live on the same property and one of them dies without a son, the wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside of the family, Her brother-in-law is to take her as his wife, have sexual relations with her, and perform the duty of brother-in-law for her. The first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man doesn't want to marry his sister-in-law, she is to go to the elders at the city gate and say, My brother-in-law refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He isn't willing to perform the duty of a brother-in-law for me. And the elders of his city will summon him and speak with him. And if he persists and says, I don't want to marry her, Then his sister-in-law will go up to him in the sight of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. And then she will declare, this is what is done to a man who will not build up his brother's house. And his family's name in Israel will be the house of the man whose sandal was removed. Well, what does this show us? It shows us that the redemption of Ruth demonstrates that the law had to be satisfied not bypassed. The law had to be satisfied, not bypassed. For Boaz to legally redeem Ruth, this whole crazy thing with this passing of the sandal uh, and and having a public declaration has to take place. The law has to be fulfilled. And for us, that is certainly the case. That our redemption in Christ Jesus uh, was not bypassing the law, but, but God's was fulfilling the law through Christ. His holy law demanded that all mankind needed to be punished in accordance with God's divine justice. God, because God is, is a perfect God, because he's a righteous God, he couldn't just look over our sin. He couldn't just sweep our sin under the rug. He had to do something to provide the penalty to do, deal with our sin appropriately the, because the demands of his law had to be met so that it wouldn't impinge upon God's own character. And for us, because we had impinged upon God's character by our acts of rebellion and sin, the punishment was death. You and I were sentenced to death. But for God, in His loving grace, He provided a just and righteous demand would be met But not in our own deaths, but in the deaths of his only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's the fact. If I die, I pay for my sin. If you die, you pay for your sin. But Christ was without sin. And so when Christ died, he could pay the penalty for all sin. He didn't have to pay for his own And so he could provide for the redemption of the whole of mankind, the whole of humanity. And so through his death, Christ fulfilled the law. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. Rather, I came to fulfill the law. So on the cross, as Christ was was hanging on the cross, He said, it is finished, because on the cross, a legal transaction took place. Christ took our sin, and in place of our sin, he gave us righteousness. He he paid for our sin with his own righteousness. But there had to be a witness to the transaction. When you, whenever you perform any kind of legal transaction, whether it's whether you're buying a house, whether you are buying a car, you, you get some sort of paperwork that says this purchase has been made, and there's people who sign that, right? Even when you go to the grocery store or you go down to the convenience store and you purchase something, you give them legal tender, right, a, d- a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill if you have one of those. Uh, I don't, but if you give one of those, you get something back, right? You get another piece of paper, Called a receipt. It says this person purchased this item, gasoline, whatever, for this amount. When you when Boaz went to redeem Ruth, the receipt was his sandal, the other guy's sandal. Right? He has purchased the land, he's purchased the woman, redeemed the woman. And here's the sign, the sandal, right? And the witness of Christ's redemptive work is his resurrection. How do we know that Jesus, his redemptive price on the cross was effective? Because we have our receipt, right? We, we know Because there was a resurrection afterwards. His life was laid down, but it didn't stay there. He rose up from the grave on the third day to provide a stamp of approval. This is God saying, this is effective. There's nothing more that is needed. And furthermore, it's attested to by a plurality of witnesses. You've got the apostles. You've got Mary in the garden. You've got the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. At one time, there was over 500 people in a crowd that saw Jesus in the flesh after his crucifixion, right? Throughout history, we've had people attesting. And in fact, Paul says to the Corinthians, If you don't believe what I'm telling you, what I'm writing to you, go find the witnesses who were there. Most of them are still alive. Now now they're not, but they were when the Corinthians were there. Now that so the New Testament affirms to us that the redemption price was effective, the redemption was accomplished because it's evidenced by the resurrection. And so this act of redemption was legal. Well, look with me at verse eleven. The elders and all the people who were at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and famous in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamor, born to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. When he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and took care of him. The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So we see the fruit of, the fruit of redemption was transforming the fruit of redemption is transforming because redeeming power has a transforming power Boaz's simple act transformed Ruth and it transformed Naomi and it would transform Israel and it would transform the world well let's look what happens with Ruth well for Ruth redemption brings a new identity and a new purpose New identity and a new purpose. Up to this point, Ruth was known as what? Ruth the Moabitess, right? But now she has a new identity. She's no longer known as Ruth the Moabitess. Who is she now? Ruth, the wife of Boaz, right? She's got a new identity, she's no longer associated with sinful pagan Moab. She's now the Ruth of Boaz. She's the wife of a godly man. She's a redeemed person who has a special role to play in God's redemptive plan. And all of the women referenced by the elders were were women of great significance in Israel's history. Who were Rachel and Leah? Rachel and Leah were Jacob's wives, right? Who was Jacob? Well, God changed Jacob's name to Israel and so all the tribes of Israel come from who? Rachel and Leah, right? They're literally the mothers of the tribes of Israel. And who is Tamar? Well, we know Tamar was a foreigner much like like Ruth herself, but through Tamar and her union with Judah came the people of Bethlehem. And so What do we learn from this? We learn that redeemed people are transformed people. Christians have a new identity in Christ. We're no longer associated with the ways of the world. We're no longer associated with the ways of sin. But we are members in God's kingdom, members of God's world. um, Members in the church universal. The church is called the Bride of Christ. So we are members of the Bride of Christ. So we have to understand who we are and whose we are and understand we don't belong to this world anymore. So that means that there's things that people of this world do that we're not going to do, and there's things that we do that people of this world aren't going to do. In fact, they may look at us and think we're crazy. And Paul gives us a great example in Galatians chapter 5. Now, the works of the flesh, works of this world are obvious, sexual immor- immoralities, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, he says, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Because those are associated with the world. That's the way the world lives, right? But rather, redeemed people are people who have been filled by God's Spirit, right? And so, redeemed people live according to, not the world, but to the Spirit. And so, Paul continues saying, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the law is not against these things. And so, as redeemed people, we have a new identity in Christ, and we're no longer identified with the world. And so the way we live must be according to the way of the Spirit, and not according to the ways of this world. But furthermore, redeemed people are used by God to accomplish His purposes, right? Everybody always wants to know, what is God's purpose for my life, right? What does God want me to do? Well, can I help you out with that? Because Jesus told us, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself." right? Two great commands. These commands mean these are actions, right? These are something you are supposed to do, love God and love others. And when you do these two things, you are fulfilling the purpose that God has for you. But perhaps the greatest action that combines these, these two different aspects together is found in the Great Commission, right? Jesus said, go therefore and tell, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them my ways, teach them my words, right? So what is the greatest way we show that we love God and show that we love people? We go out and expand God's kingdom by sharing the love of God with people driven by a love for them. Right? So if you want to know what God's purpose for your life is, is to worship him and to share his message. Okay, that seems so simple, right? How is that? Such, why do we have such a problem understanding that's our purpose? Well, God will use us for other, more specified purposes, but his greatest purpose throughout all history is the purpose of redemption. So what greater purpose could we have than to be agents of God's redemptive Ruth gave birth to a son, and through that son comes blessings, including our own redemption. Redemption brings a new identity, and it brings a new purpose. But what happens when we look at Naomi? What happened with Naomi's life? The the Lord allowed Ruth to have a son, but strangely, it stops with Ruth's story there and goes to Naomi. Naomi. It's about Naomi. Remember what Naomi said to the women of Bethlehem in Ruth chapter 1? She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has treated me bitterly. I went away full, but I came back empty. And she talks about how the Lord has afflicted her. But now look at the words the women speak to Naomi. Words of blessing. The Lord has provided for you. And notice this is isn't about Boaz. It's about the son. It's about the child. They said he will renew your life. He will sustain you in your old age. Redemption transforms by renewing life and by giving hope for the future. Redemption provides new life and hope for the future. When Naomi first returned to Bethlehem, she had no hope for the future. Right? We remember that? She was lamenting, and, and we were lamenting with her. But now there's a child on her lap, and this child is giving her hope. And not only is that child the hope for her, but it's the hope for Israel. For who comes from that child? What is that child's grandson's name? David. King David would be born from this lineage. And what does David do? But Go and and defeat all of Israel's enemies, provide a peace for all Israel, provide established prosperity for Israel. David was the greatest king Israel ever had. He united all the tribes of Israel under one kingdom, driving out their enemies. But he was called a man after God's. God made a promise to him that from your line, David will come one who will rule over the kingdom of Israel for all time and if we go to the New Testament, who do we learn comes from the line of David but Jesus Christ our Redeemer so not only is this transforming redemption a transforming power for Naomi and for Ruth but it was for all Israel and then ultimately all the world Through Christ. Through Obed comes hope for Israel, hope for the world. And in Christ we have hope that is steadfast and sure. Through Christ, we have a new life and we have a living hope because He has redeemed us. He paid the price willingly, sacrificially, legally. Effectively to redeem us, to so have you placed your hope in Christ who redeemed. You? Would you bow with me, Father God? We thank you for the great hope that we have. Thank you for your Son, who you sent to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and then it was effective, and you proved that by the power of the resurrection that we have victory because we know he lives. God, I pray for all that are here. If there's any that's not been redeemed, who's not accepted the message of the gospel, place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would do so today. And for the rest of us, pray that we would experience this transforming redemptive power and that we would live not accordingly. To our own lives, the ways of the world, but according to your word, the example, the guide that we have. Lord God, we offer this time of invitation to you. May you have your way with me. I pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Would you please stand with me as we have a time?